Thank you for joining us today on Two Daves in the Dock. Today we're joined by Angela Duffy, PhD, and we're going to talk about the journey from academia to venture capital. Let's join the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Two Daves and the Dock. And this week we have another guest, Angela Duffy, PhD, which, you know, what's in a name? What's in a title? But Angela, welcome aboard. We are so glad that you are here. And uh, yeah. Great to be here. Thanks a million. <laughs> Thank you. So as, as is totally the norm these days, and we can say that with eight episodes underneath our belt, um, we would love to start with a little bit of introduction of who you are, what you do around this place, and uh, why you actually accept an invitation from us. I don't know. I blame Dave. So um, who am I? What do I do? Actually, I don't like defining myself by what I do. I'd rather say that, you know, um, I'm pretty calm, often cranky, eat a lot and like to draw um, on the side. <laughs> but in this context, right, uh, I guess I started life out as a scientist, um, loved biology and all things uh, about the human sort of early, early days at school. I went off and studied uh, science and then went into PhD land. And that was kind of, um, I don't know if it was an accident, but it was more an option um, among others. I finished very, very young uh, from undergrad and thought, okay, what do I do now? And I actually had a job or two. I remember getting some offers because I'd gone off and done some interviews. Um, but I'd done a four-year project for the undergrad out of the College of Surgeons in Dublin. So they invited me back and that was another option. You could continue that work into a PhD. So I was only, was I 20 at the time? 21, something like, no, I was only 19. I'm very young. I can't remember, a long time ago. Um, so I was very young, thought, you know what, I can squeeze in this PhD. I'll do it in three years and then I'll just be pretty much caught up with everybody else who's a bit older. So that's what I did. Um, so went into that world, uh, just continued some of the work I'd been doing, but branched out. It was all around cardiovascular disease and, I guess, discovering what type of drugs, because it was clinical pharmacology and that type of thing, to, uh, to bring into different areas. That's fascinating. I, 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 I took a very large break before deciding to go back into academia myself. And so I'm, I can yeah. look fondly back a few decades at that whole what the hell was I doing at 19 and 20? <laughs> so I, I appreciate yeah. your, your, your ideals towards that, right? And the three-year PhD you know, stuff. <laughs> I, yeah, well, yeah, that was just, I'm, I'm quite a <clears throat> driven person is what people like to phrase it as, but <laughs> stubborn is the other way of putting it. Um, or I have a lot of, you know, resolve. I will get things done if I put my head down and get it, uh, try to. So uh, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for kind of hanging out a bit um, before going in and doing the PhD. So I think uh, your brain starts starts to mature. You get to process a lot more. So what do you know coming out from an undergrad? You just know how to learn things and regurgitate it. And I guess for a PhD, there's and another you know later research, and you you kind of supposed to look at it, examine it, take a step back from it, and you know go off in a direction. Um, so I probably, I would feel I'm, I'm better equipped now to do it. So I think it's probably better to do it a little bit later on. Um, once you've had the experience and you've been able to manage and critically 
look at areas and then bring that soft skill uh, capability back into it. Um, but I continued in that. Like I went into research, um, did a couple of postdocs, um, and then realized, ooh, this life is not really for me. I'm not going to be getting really, really excited about a dot on a gel. I want to go for a swim. Would it ever hurry up and finish off because I have other things to be doing, right? Um, so I'm very, uh, I don't know, sort of balanced. You know, I wasn't completely wedded to the results of that particular experiment or something else or super excited. I was excited. It was great that it worked because I put a lot of work in it, but uh, it, it wasn't the be all and end all for me. But um, yeah, I got absorbed into into corporate world after that. Um, I was invited in because I was collaborating with them. And that was a real eye opener, the speed and the pace of real work versus the academic situation. This is where I'd been in sort of school uh, up until that point. And I thought, wow, I like this. I like this. This is fast. I like to get things done. I did a PhD in three years and never worked a weekend. I like this bit. <laughs> I will do this work in the real world thing. Um, and that worked. But I guess a lot of the stuff that I picked up uh, still holds very, very strong, the, the basics in the science and the medical stuff and just how to go about projects, how to lay things out, how to plan it. Everything kind of is a training ground um, in the PhD world. So that's been very, very valuable. And I am so glad I did it. People looked at me and went, oh, gosh, you know, did you waste your time in that world of academia or doing that piece of research or whatever it was? And I thought, no. And it's really it comes from a place where people don't understand because it's just so much um, beyond the actual in front of you that you learn um, and become capable in and your way of thinking is developed and what have you. So um, yeah, it's, it's standing me to this very day. I am on a complicated project at the minute. I'm helping somebody out and I got not to 60 on it within 12 hours, I would say. Uh, so it really, really helps. That's excellent. You, what you've noticed is a really interesting thing. So you've done two things that are quite rare in the space. You did a PhD very at, at a relatively young age in comparison to most people. And then you did it at an accelerated pace. You know, you did it much quicker than most people do at the same time. Did you find any issues with that or anything specific about those two elements in your particular journey? Any problems that you'd faced or any kind of advice you could give to somebody if they are trying to mm. do it at the accelerated pace or more likely at the early stage. So I did mine in just over three as well, but I was working as a researcher beforehand and had a very clear plan and I did it much later than you did in that case. So mm. the age in particular, is there anything that you would, what advice would you give to yourself as that early 20 year old PhD researcher just starting off on that journey? Uh, very important to have someone that's a good guide for you. Uh, if you feel that you're not you're in a position at any stage where the person who's your supervisor or the person who's you know funding the project is leaving you to your own devices, that's not going to work. You you you're going to need the help. So if you're thinking about doing it at all, um, make sure that you engage and find the person that you like, you get on with, um, and you know even from others that have worked with them are a good guide and a good supervisor. That's essential. I, I've seen people who had to uh, stop their PhD and start another one because the supervisor they had just wasn't there. They were absent. They they weren't healthy. So particularly at that young age where it's not like you call them that yourself sort of uh, directing. Um, I think as well, 
you know, you talked about acceleration. I would say slow down. Um, you know, I think I was sort of task driven as well. Often I would certainly set something up. Um, my experiments were, you know, two, two uh, weeks long. Um, so, you know, I would do that and I would get repeated results. Um, but I was a stickler for N numbers. So I certainly wouldn't decide after one or two results that that had a pattern. Um, I would be looking for larger N numbers so that I would definitely be assured that the variables, particularly in biology, weren't impacting the outcomes. So um, certainly, you know, increase your N numbers. But I think for me, at the end of each experiment or set of experiments, I probably didn't take stock. I probably just looked at it and said, right, uh, what's next? And I probably didn't piece things together until later on. Um, I do remember one of the... I guess, set of experiments and, and work that I did didn't work. It just didn't work. So the whole piece is this is the hypothesis. Um, and no matter what I did and, and tried variations of, it just it wasn't going to give that outcome. And I thought, this is a failure. This is not good. Right. Um, until I sat in the Viva and the um, person examined me said, your best chapter was that one. You hypothesized X and it did not work. You disproved that theory. And I went, Okay, right. <laughs> so again, putting in the effort to do things a number of times, get your N numbers up, then take a step back and say, look, what's going on here? And then plotting maybe your next step. So there's malleability and, and adjustment required in there. I really like uh, what you're saying there, Angela, about not defining yourself, even at the, at the start when we were introducing you. And I think that that's something that probably you've kept all the way up through it, like afterwards. And I think even for ourselves, I think starting off this, we kind of have in our minds that we would like to be defined as maybe someone who knows about a certain topic or a field or whatever. But actually, in reality, we probably should be looking at it a little bit wider and beyond that and kind of seeing where you can apply what you're learning to other areas so that you don't end up going into a space and then realizing, well, actually, do you know what? this isn't for me uh, and not having a, a route out or a path out or, or, or not having kind of I suppose cultivated some of the other interests that you might have all the way up through it. I'm just, I'm wondering with that, because and I'm sure it'd be really interesting for people to hear some of the, the work that you're even doing now and, and this, the kind of entrepreneurial space that you're in. It, it's yeah. almost when people would look at it as two categories, it seems so separate. Um, but yet, how would you say to someone who maybe is, you know, maybe in one space, but has other interests and is kind of looking to, to maybe, maybe they've even just come out in the last year or two and they're going, actually, maybe this isn't for me. What does it take to make the shift over? Because that's not an easy step to make. Yeah, that, uh, it's not. Um, so you're absolutely right. Uh, and I've seen this because I've worked a lot recently, maybe uh, with some of the people doing comm funds and in academia. Um, you know, there's only a certain amount of positions beyond PhD and postdoc and very much uh, a few, very few numbers of tenured positions. So there aren't spaces in there. Um, there are now a lot of programs. It was pure science and it was, you know, one dimensional when I was doing things. Um, but now there are many, you know, courses that have two elements to it. Um, they'll have sort of an application. Uh, so just beyond basic science where there's kind of translational. Look at how this would apply in the, 
you know, commercial setting and so on. I was blind to all of that. And and I have to say, we're not there yet. I think that there's, I've worked with a good few people in the last couple of years that just can't see it. They don't see the outside. And I didn't see it until I moved into a corporate environment and into business environment. And pennies dropped for me and went, oh, OK. <laughs> so, you know, what you're doing um, is chipping away the basic science and, and research is hugely important. It's advancing humanity, right? So it's essential. Um, but it has to be safeguarded and it has to be just left as that. Those people who are putting their head down and are excited to see that dot on a gel and the next one and so on, they're moving us forward and several different you know, uh, labs doing exactly the same thing in competition with each other, to your point, column often. But um, they are advancing our understanding of the world, essentially, and they should be left alone. Then there are, you know, pieces of work, call it translational, call it in more industrial or commercially focused, that are supposed to be looking at where is this piece of work going to be useful? Um, and if you're in that, you need to be thinking about that and not assuming things. So I'd bring the analogy to the to the startup world where, you know, somebody has a great idea because they see a problem in their own world um, and then they start to build a solution for it. And then they get really busy with that uh, and they don't really check and, you know, surface the head um, until it's, you know, well down the path. Um, whereas, you know, a researcher will do the same thing sitting there and they'll kind of get tied up in the work and the next you know set of experiments or the next piece of research. Um, and they won't look up and then they'll realize, well, actually, the corporate that sponsored that or the people that might have been interested in aren't interested in that at all. I went off on my own. Same with the startup. They go off on their own and realize, oh, you know what? That's not what people want. I try to push it out, but it's not taken up, you know. Um, so I think it's very important then for people to realize there are other worlds. I would get out, I suppose, if you're in the academic side of things, uh, realize, you know, that you should look probably to businesses get involved even on campus and other things in like startup weekends um mix with people who are from different places in different academic settings you know um or have studied different areas like out of a diverse group of friends you know who'd never have seen a lab and others who are completely finance focused and just talking and interacting with them and finding out about their world is really important um, but the transition wasn't that easy when I went in and you're talking about uh, headings and titles earlier. I went into the corporate world as a scientist. That was my title. But I never did science in there. Um, I did innovation because I thought a little bit differently to everybody around me. And I just invented things for us to do programs. And I was an entrepreneur in there because um, I came at things from a different angle and they just let me off. Um so I built, you know, different initiatives, very much customer centric. I had the language and the knowledge from the medical background, the medical science background to talk with physicians and they loved it. Um, so I was pushed out to the front and I did a lot of customer interaction. So you can start to see the evolution of I understood what the outside world started to need and want. And then I could bring that in. Um, and then I realized, well, I'm actually feeding into strategy here not to scientific experiments, I'm feeding into what the next product should look like or what message we should put around it or whatever. Um, and then I, I did have to study a master's in business to pivot. And then I had a lot of work to do to actually get labeled something else and have a different title other than your tech, your R&D and tech, you know, mm. uh, very interesting. Hard, hard already, work to do that. 
it's really interesting you mentioned that kind of multidisciplinarity sort of aspect and you evolved from the research background through your roles in industry and now into kind of venture and startup land but like I find as well it's a problem academia can have an awful lot of times with that term multidisciplinarity so you know Mm -hmm. a, a multidiscipline team still in some cases could be you as a clinical pharmacologist and say a medicinal chemist and it's like oh that's a multidisciplinary team because they're from different fields it's like no not really no not in the not in the Mm -hmm. business kind of world so you know that kind of intersectionality in there and what I kind of find really interesting is when you mentioned you were researching core research lots of researchers focus so much on the problem let's solve this specific problem let's research and develop the answer to this problem and they may may never actually get to the solution they just contribute a portion Mm -hmm. to solving that problem how would you find that then on the opposite side from the startup land? Because we all have experience <laughs> of working with startups who propose a solution without actually identifying a problem they're solving with it in the first place. You know what I mean? Is it? It's yeah, a really absolutely. interesting comparison in there. And like, how did you find that? You know, are you seeing companies suggesting things and they're like, yeah, it's going to solve something. We don't yes. know what. Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? A lot of it is um, from the academic sector. So you'll see it anyway. So somebody's competency is technical and the comfort zone is technical. They will stay in that comfort zone. Uh, they won't want to go out and talk to the customers. They might attempt it and they'll get something that satisfies their their own thinking most often. Um, very few. And maybe I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing now, but few will really understand and listen to the customer side of things and come back and not keep on doing what they've been doing inside you know I see that a lot Um, and it's just that they don't want to they want to stay in the comfort zone but startup and business is not comfortable it's just you if you're not if you're not uncomfortable then you're kind of doing something wrong maybe that's a question for anybody that has a business or is starting out if you're not out of your comfort zone um, and you're not you know, thinking, I'm assuming this. So if you can sit every day and say, what two things have I assumed today? Do I have evidence and proof? Here's the scientist coming out of me. What's my evidence and proof that I'm right on those assumptions? Um, and if I don't have that, I need to be going out and absolutely figuring it out, you know. Um, and, and I see if people go back in, they build the tech um, and they will, you know, ta-da, that piece. Uh, and then they'll struggle to find people who uh, want to adopt it or, even at that point, it's it's there's always a strive for it to be fantastic, right, or the best, or I couldn't put it out the way it is. Um, and I did a lot of work. I I worked with you know some of the you know world's best, I'd say, cardiologists and physicians and stuff. Um, I was in a big company, so they had access to them. I brought them bits of paper. I burned myself soldering wires together and you know cardboard and stuff. But I had something that they twiddled with, right, and. They are smart people. Your customer is a smart person. They'll get it, right? They'll tell you. And so, you know, the likes of IDEO and the design thinking concepts are all push it out there and get the feedback, right? You know, run the two boats in parallel. This is one boat versus the other boat. A senior VP, great guy, actually, uh, I worked with. He had this analogy with, well, should I build a boat and, and send it off and see how it gets on and track it and, you know, see how it does or doesn't perform and then come back and rebuild it? Or should I build two boats with some differences between them and see which one performs better? Uh, so it's this piece of throw it out there, see what you learn and bring it back because your products not going to be perfect ever, actually. Um, another, another mistake I think people make is that they think that the perfect product out there is it. 
well, actually, I have to be clever. So I did a bit of product management as well. And product management is about not putting out your best product. That's actually what it's about. It's about, okay, I need to be clever and put out something like the iPhone. What was the first one? I don't know, two. (laughs) And then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Each of them with a a new set of features. So you hold back um, and you put out the minimum. So product management is looking out there to see what's acceptable in the market and how you can sort of, you know, edge your way into being a player, but you don't give all your cards away. You keep some of them to your chest and you release them over time to iterate your product. That's another piece I've seen. Um, Companies that are large know and do very well and small companies not know or do. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of there's a lot of analogies. And someone asked me about, again, like that, how inert can you apply anything in the corporate sort of setting or what you've done even in scientific side of things with startups? And I said, but sure, everything makes sense. You know, um, there's lessons and things to be learned from the companies that have been innovative. Um, like people who look at a company and say, it's really old, it's not innovative. The new tech company is really innovative. I'm saying the company that's around 10 to 20 years is super innovative because they're still there, right? And they have gone through so many transitions to match the outside world and the changes there. Uh, so they're certainly more adaptable than anybody perceives, I guess. To flip it over to the other side, if you're looking at corporates, and you mentioned the word entrepreneurship, so I might get you to explain that for people who are, maybe that's something new to them. Is there anything that they can do on the far side to try and cultivate that kind of culture when they have people like yourself and others who have that skill set, whether they're coming in after doing a PhD, or they're coming in from, from other fields or whatever it might be, uh, is there anything that they can do to help cultivate that? What was useful for you um, in terms of being able to, I suppose, be innovative within that space? And were there any barriers that you saw that needed to be to be overcome? Yeah, do you know, I think I got really lucky in some sense, excuse me. Um, I think that I met with visionary people. Um, I had a couple of people who just saw what I thought and did and just kind of let me off uh, to some degree. Um, But I met with barriers then when I worked with other people. So those people moved into different positions and so on. Um, Yeah, the way and I I think I've looked at other companies um, throughout as well. And, you know, they stifle innovation because they have the expectation of it. Um, it has to be very, very, very wild and free at the end. And it has to be sort of those things are not a means to an end, you know, and you're not actually dotted line to a P&L. You know, you're not trying to create revenue out of this group. Their budget, their time, their whatever is just side and separate from from everything else. Um, and it just it creates a culture as well. I think that's one of the things I probably did um and it's not that easy to do, but it's chipping away at it. You need the top-down visionaries to say, I want the culture to be anything is possible. So therefore, you know, I can change this rather than uh, needing instruction and direction. Um, and then I guess I worked on it from bottoms up. I worked in an R&D department with 100 odd people and only a few of them would have ever, you know, had a patent. You know, and actually it was the same few that had many, many patents. And I thought, but sure, everybody has ideas or everybody should get to do this. And we did some, and a friend of mine actually texted me today about some of the hair brainstorming sessions I used to run. 
um, but I include everybody. So everybody ended up, you know, um, being creative. And then that changed the way they looked at things in their day to day job, even if they didn't go on to, you know, contribute to patents. Most of them did, actually. We, we increased the number of patents, let's say, and just the uh, but the ability and capabilities to think about, well, this is my daily task, but I could do it in a better way. Right. I could do it in a different way. <laughs> um, but the challenges were. Definitely when I was and my teams were asked, like, this has to translate into something. I mean, you can't just faff around and stick posters up around the place. You know, what project are we going to get over the line out of this? Um, now, and I don't mind that there is this uh, it's back to that translational piece where we're, you know, uh, funding research and we expect it to yield something. Um, it's the same within, you know, the corporate setting, let's say, where they're expecting something from it rather than just a culture change or a slow, you know, uh, evolution of the way things are done. They're expecting at the end of this year that after all that time and space that you come up with something that will become a funded project and eventually will end up in a in a large project and, and bring in money for the for the organization. Um, and I definitely throughout the my time would have met with people who just that's all they were thinking about the dollar sign right you know I, I know that that's great but will it translate and that made it much more difficult um, because you're shut down right so things aren't given the space to breathe like you cannot it ha these things are, they take a long time um, and it's trial and error back to the cardboard uh, but you can't shut it down per fiscal budget because it just it'll have just started you know I remember Ah, doing different kind of things. I had, you know, sort of come up with a way of coating a, a balloon, an angioplasty balloon with uh, a drug so that you could put it into the uh, cardiovascular system in a very targeted way. Um, but we ended up, something went wrong with some of the experiments and they said, oh, let's can that and just buy a company, you know. <laughs> but it's fine. I mean, some of the work we did informed maybe their decision to buy a company, but the sort of speed was placed on it such that you and we probably would have had a better actual product because the other product had some caveats and, and fairness and had to be used in certain ways but that's what happens you know and that's really important though for people to know that strategy ultimately drives innovation in many ways um particularly if that notion of translation is applied um but I did go off in my own time. I did a lot of extra work. It was entrepreneur piece to explain that to people, David, uh, is more where you actually um, build something internally, uh, a new approach, or you commandeer a product and a project that, you know, goes all the way through. Um, my piece was, I suppose, observational and ethnographic research to bring that in. It wasn't hugely used by the corporate at all uh, to look at the outside world. They didn't have people, you know, observing what was going on in the clinical setting. They didn't have people in all parts of the world, emerging markets, etc., to bring information in. Um, so I did that. <laughs> I brought these bodies of information back and they're like, that's really useful. <laughs> and I just kept presenting it and people going, that's fantastic. And it just kind of grew and had more legs. And, and again, though, one of the important things is uh, people who'd sort of let me off to do it got a pat on the back. And you have to work a political game sometimes that you have to realize in order to you for you to be funded and for you to be praised, someone else is absolutely having to be praised. And, you know, you do have to manage that cycle. It's a it's a dance and a game. 
political. Some of it's good and some of it's bad, but that's certainly what you'll face in the big company. Um, and you have to get used to that. That concept of managing up and managing up. So in my day job, I, uh, am closely linked to what you have done. (laughs) So working across offices of research and academic liaison work and, it's always that in our program, we use this head heart concept, right? This plumb line concept, which is fascinating to me because I always come back to this when I talk to folks, you have the passion here, you have that research or that focused mind. And now what do you do with it? Right. How do you keep those things in line? And it's very, very hard because you want to reward people for the work and effort and the energy that they put in, right? Those extra hours, if you will, or the innovative thinking around the problem around it. And, you know, being, now students in the in the grossest sense of the word too and trying to pull both ends you know pull on both ends like i do this during the day i'm responsible for looking at technology and these things and by night you know i am i am this guy that's pouring over articles and documents going how the actual i'll bleep that out but you know like how am i supposed to actually make this matter you know and it's, it's that duality because you know not to say the political end of things is any easier for me because we all know that it's not, you know, I have the university and I have my corporate employment that I overlap on all the time. And I talk to other academic institutions and yeah. it's crazy, but you know, so a lot, a lot of what you're saying just kind of, kind of clicks in like, okay. And I'm coming at it from having done 15 mm-hmm. plus years in the corporate world now, mm-hmm. and now coming back into a place where it's, everybody's wide-eyed about the possibilities of all this stuff and i'm going you're gonna run into some level of dissonance at some point like you know this, yeah. this is what's will this is what will happen but the idea of the entrepreneurship or you know is fascinating right because i think that's also an application that a lot of students a lot of folks that are either younger or mid-career or mid-cycle don't you know, are starting to come to realize again and talk about this age where everything's been shut down. All of a sudden you're left to your own devices. You have to start to innovate around your mm-hmm. life. You know, it's not as simple as building a wall in your apartment or something like that. I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's spending money to lose money ultimately. And, but part of that is it's shaping your own world of what you want to do. What are the passions that you're following down? What are your pursuits mm-hmm. and how does that actually affect? And is there a way for you to affect your daily life, your employment, mm-hmm. your academia, your, your pursuits and that stuff. And, and, mm-hmm. and no different, your um, uh, Professor Goodman in our program talks about writing that love letter to your, you know, to the folks that examine you. I mean, you're, you're doing the same thing, regardless of context, you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're, what you're doing is you're writing that love letter, that expression of whatever to either your academic side, or you're, you're doing it to your, your corporate side as well. And so it's, it's, yeah, I mean, you're right. If you if you take a step back again and just say, well, what do I want? And, uh, you know, I'd have to say, I just decided exactly that. Uh, I'd like to do this, you know, and maybe I didn't, you know, have it so far out. And I think it's actually, it's good to go, to go far out, but you don't know. There's so many other things that impact, you know, your path to a goal way out there. Um, I have a, a way of saying, right. And I actually stand or sit and I just, up and I say okay and I use the gut a lot but just you know what makes sense what should I do now what should I prioritize now Um, and maybe people that are listening can think about that you know just stop and think don't overthink it you know the gut will tell you firstly that you need to think and then it'll give you sort of a answer Um, and then you can critically go across and say 
does it make sense if I go that path? I'd love, I'd love to just, you know, live in the Himalayas and write books. Um, but really, <laughs> you know, I need, I can't, you know, survive on the food there because I don't like it. So I need, you know, so you just, yeah. you can critically analyze as well as, and then you'll come to sort of this, you know, middle ground uh, that will allow you. And, and you're right, if you go with, you know, an awareness, and actually, it's really, really important to have an awareness of where you want to go um, because we're great. Our brains are fabulous, like subliminally. We'll work away on that and our actions and our decisions and our even attention will have that uh, in frame. And, you know, you'll actually enable yourself in that direction without even doing anything much. Um, so, yeah, stopping to take to take stock and saying, right. This doesn't, and, and actually, you know, I finished up with a job recently and, you know, people are like, oh, what do you want to do? And I, I don't know, but I knew, I know what I don't want to do. And, and that happened to me a number of times when I finished roles. I was like, that's a really good baseline to start from, you know, to be able to say no. Um, fantastically good at saying no in general, hence me sitting here talking to you guys, but, <laughs> you know. That's our um, win. That's our win. Yeah. <laughs> You're among friends as well, because we can't say no yeah. to anything either. I know. Like, it's you start a podcast let's do that that sounds like let's a great idea <laughs> no it's even funny you mentioned that because it references on what you said and what dave said i am personally at one of those points right now i've done mm. a good couple of years doing academic research phd is over i'm testing the water for a move into the more commercial corporate kind of world and finding the kind of transition i don't want to say difficult but complicated you know is when you've done especially in the field that i worked in was the disruptive technology, new innovations of technology, new distributions of technology. I've done lots of corporate work with clients, but because it is new and it's next generational, I can't talk about them because they're private. Yes. You know, they're yes. the next yes. generation of stuff. You know, as I have a stack of probably 200 and non-disclosure agreements from work I've done over the last few years and trying to verbalize that is very, very kind of strange. So those intersectionality points are very, very interesting. And I am where you are, where you just mentioned, yeah. I know what I don't want to be doing, but it's going to take me a while to find out yeah. what I would like to do. I wouldn't mind staying in academic field. If somebody would give me a full-time academic job, that'd be lovely. But, you know, I, then okay. I could do corporate, we could do impact, you could do an awful lot of stuff. But just, yeah, it takes time to find your spot. Even externally, it might look out like everything's going perfectly fine, but it's, you know, you, yeah. you have a kind of reflection point. Everyone does. Yeah. And, you know, you're dead right, you know, and don't be worried about that. So if you feel, oh, look, I'm in this like world of PhD or I'm in here in the postdoc world or in research in some way and I don't want to stay there, you know, that's OK. You are going to step out, but step out. And actually, you might try different things, you know, um, and you mightn't have thought about them or, you know, you're going to learn. And, and here's one of the things, right, you were talking about is um, Dave and, you know, having different things to put your head on. I mean, my ability to switch from one thing to the next is unbelievable. I, I mean, I can be in the depths of a discussion about the financial underserved in one discussion, and then I can be in the, you know, how do we plan um, a more holistic patient strategy in within the hour, right? And I think you don't realize as well coming out from the, the depth of, you know, research that there's this soft skill capability and you don't think you have it because it's not 
verbalized at all and the corporate world or you know business world will have all these terms on it and you're like oh I've never done project management of course you've bloody done project management you manage your whole PhD and several pieces of projects and research within it right so I'd love as well if people are listening to have them you know think about that and say well go up and look at all those terms that maybe I'm going to step into a different world and they have all this stuff how even do I put them on a CV I, I don't have that experience but take all the terms and sit about it and think, oh, actually, I have done that and I have presented and I have represented and I have done all these things that are written in a, in a different way, in a different language, because very much different fields use different language. And, and that's simply it, you know. But don't be afraid either, because it's very exciting out there. You know, I was in, re- in research, hadn't a clue, went out, loved it, went somewhere else. And I... I kind of skid sideways into things, I think, you know, and it's that taking stock and going, ooh, I'm getting the warm and fuzzies about that opportunity. Not because it all adds up and it makes total sense. I kind of like to live in a bit of I'm outside the comfort zone. And it's just you learn so much more and it's just more invigorating. Uh, And then you become way more rounded and have you're adding to your capability, you know, doing something. And even if it doesn't work and you hate it, you're going, I now have more knowledge. But back to my, you know, theses with the whole thing, just that wasn't going to work as an experiment over and over. And the man said, that's fantastic. That's a no then. And so you you learn. And it's not the end of the world. You, you have another opportunity. You'll try something else. But you're only learning. It's, yeah, it's fabulous. <laughs> well, we're coming up on the top of the hour. And I know we have spent an enormous amount of time with you, which is awesome. And so living outside your comfort zone with Angela Duffy, I think this is where we're going with this whole thing. <laughs> that was too good of an end. No, we kind of have to end after that. We can, we can end badly. We can end badly end. if you want. Yeah. <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, Angela, it is awesome to have you on here. I think we've, we've actually learned a lot. I know I have David, I, you know, it's debatable most days whether or not he's learning anything about this stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> we like to think that he is. <laughs> And Colin, whatever. He's the doctor that doesn't want to be a doctor. So we appreciate your time today. Hopefully this uh, will encourage our audience to um, reframe, uh, rethink, yes. and kind of challenge the challenge the possible, if you will, when mm-hmm. it comes down to it. So thank you so much for your time. And when it comes time for us to all write our CVs, we know we're, we're talk to you about that. And I have to say no to that one. Yeah. 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 That one oh, my there we go. Oh, you're saying no <laughs> already. Progress. We, we, we've, we've done some good work here, lads. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank In you. My very pleasure. Much. Yeah. In my pleasure. Thanks, Angela. Thank you for joining us today on Two Daves in the Dock. Next week, join us again as we continue the conversation on the PhD journey. Take care.